Hey there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another edition of NHL Trade Talk, the podcast. Uh, here, as always, with Brooke Laferno. Brooke, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm a little uh, nervous that we're recording right now because so many trades are happening. I think we might have one while we're recording, but that's a good thing. No, that's fine. Yeah, we're going to keep our eyes on Twitter, a place that I am active on right now as we speak. Some Mm -hmm. agreeing with me, some not agreeing with me, arguments back and forth about what's happened. We did a show last week, and within a week, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, like seven or eight pretty decent names that have come off Mm -hmm. the trade board here, which means that the actual day of March 3rd should be interesting because a lot of these names are coming off the list and there's only so many left. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's going to be interesting and fun to see what happens between now and it's February 27th as we record this and March 3rd, which is what just over three days uh, until the actual trade deadline comes and goes. So Mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot more action, I think, uh, but the names should be interesting to watch. Um, So we'll talk about the deals that did happen though. Let's uh, let's focus on that. Uh, What do you want to start with? There's, there's a player leaves Nashville for what is a crazy return. The biggest name possibly on the board is gone. Uh, two people from your neck of the woods have moved on to Toronto. Uh, a, one more player can't leave St. Louis, go somewhere. Like, where do you want to start? I'm going to let you pick. How about we start kind of slower and kind of build up to things? How about we start with Nino Niederreiter since he was kind of the first domino that kind of fell this week? Sure. Okay. So Niederreiter goes to the Winnipeg Jets. Um, the return, well, he's got 18 goals, 28 points in 56 games for the Predators this season. So they're going to add a guy who has gotten 20 goals in the past in the season before. Um, the Jets had tons of cap space, like over $8 million to do something. So it's not a huge surprise that his 4 million times two, which is what he has left on his contract, fits in there pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Jets are an interesting team because they're pretty good. Uh, they're having a whale of a season much better than the season I figured they would have when the campaign started, and they probably needed to add something. Um, Need a rider. We'll see how he fits in there and, and what happens and if the Jets are done. What did you think of the trade? Did you like it? I liked it a lot, actually, for the Jets. I mean, Nashville... I mean, I guess it's okay, I guess, for Nashville. I think they got a second-round pick for him, which it's not bad, but I liked it a lot. Winnipeg, just from watching them this year, they're super good. I like them a lot, but like you said, they were missing something, and Nino Niederreiter's just the perfect playoff player, in my opinion. I know he did really well with the Carolina Hurricanes. Nashville is kind of going nowhere fast, so might as well try to take a gamble on him. So I like that a lot for Winnipeg. They needed to make a splash. They already have a pretty good offense, but I think he'll help it a lot. So I think that was actually a really good trade. It probably works out for both sides. Yeah. When we last did the show, we were talking about whether or not we think we thought Nashville would become an official seller. Yeah. There was talk that David Poyle uh, would do that. Uh, he said he was at that time. He said, I'm not buying, but he hadn't mm-hmm. officially come out and said that he was a seller yet. He, I think at that time he'd said, well, we'll see how the next few games goes. And then within like hours of that show, uh, he started moving pieces. So Niederreiter goes uh, from Nashville to Winnipeg. And then uh, Tanner Janot goes in a deal yesterday uh, for what many are calling a jaw-dropping return. There's two perspectives. I, I want to get your take on this one. So five different draft picks and Calfoot goes from um, Tampa Bay to Nashville and then Tampa Bay gets Tanner Janot. So what is your immediate reaction to this trade? Like, are you on the, it makes sense for Tampa, or wow, that was an awful lot to give up for a guy who's a bottom six forward, who's had one year, scored over 20 goals, but may not do that again because he's got like five goals this season. Like a decent player, but 
five draft picks and a play and like a prospect like what do we where do you fall on this one I remember when we got the alert that said uh, Tampa Bay's acquiring Janot, I remember thinking Cal Foot's definitely in that deal because he was kind of always in the trade news and they needed to kind of shed a little bit of salary, Tampa Bay did. But I'm in the area that it was an overpayment that was, I think, really, really bad on Tampa Bay's part. And honestly, they do good with bottom six forwards. We've seen that a lot. And Janot's only got five goals. I don't really know if he'll fit there. Maybe he will. But yeah, I thought that was a massive overpayment. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see about that. Maybe he'll fit in good there. Yeah, it's interesting because this might be the one team in the NHL where you can look at this from two different lenses and go, okay, yeah, this is, seems like on paper to be a huge overpayment. But this is also the Tampa Bay Lightning and Julian Brisebois, who is really highly regarded as a pretty smart guy, right? This is a GM who makes moves, and he does this a lot. He adds these bottom six or top nine guys gives up his first or second rounders. He repeatedly does this. Tampa Bay always stays in the conversation about a competitor for the Stanley Cup. Um, and they don't seem to have a ton of draft capital, but yet they're always still in the mix when it comes to, say, the top eight to ten teams in the NHL. So you have to go, okay, well, it's Breezeball we're talking about. Any other G- GM does this, he's being crucified. But Breezeball in Tampa Bay people have a little more leash and go, well, what's he doing over there? Like he must be thinking about something. There must be something on the go. Like here's a player who's $800,000 cap hit for this and next season. They're probably going to try to sign him like they did with Nick Paul coming out of Ottawa. You remember that deal? Everybody's like, wow, that's a pretty good deal. Like they got this player for a long time and it's going to turn out that Nick Paul is going to be one heck of a value. So if that's the plan with Tanner's, no, we might be looking at this next in the summertime or next year and going, okay, Tampa, had this laid out long-term like they traded maybe too much for the guy but when they got him they knew they were going to sign him for two million dollars a season for the next like four years and Mm -hmm. he turns into a five million dollar player in that time like we could be looking back at this and going yeah breezeball was right we were all wrong like Mm -hmm. that's the the luxury that you give him because he's done so many smart things in the past right but i'm with you on paper this looks like an awful lot to give up for a guy who might not be that person who might not be the next Nick Paul. He might not be the next, you know, we don't know yet. He's Tanner. You know, he doesn't have that history. He's got one year of pretty mm-hmm. good results. So maybe Breezeball knows something everybody else doesn't, but yeah, I thought that was a lot. And my next question for you, do you think that changes the market though? Like the way that this trade went down, do you think this gets all GMs pause and go, okay, well maybe our guys can fetch this or Wow, that's the new price for these types of players. The, we not we're not in this. Um, do you think that happens, or do you think this is just an outlier and this is Tampa being Tampa, and nobody's going to look at this and go, "Well, yeah, we all know what that was. That was Breezeball doing whatever Breezeball's doing. That doesn't affect us. Doesn't affect the rest of the league. It is just what he did." How do you think this goes? I want to believe it changes the market, especially from like a Chicago Blackhawks standpoint, because they have a lot of players they want to sell for a huge price, but I really don't. I think like the reports that were coming out were saying that general managers' mouths were on the floor at that return. And you would think that maybe, like you said, people would take pause and think, hmm, maybe my guy's worth a lot more, but I also think this might be kind of an anomaly. I think maybe some GMs are thinking there's no way someone is going to pay that much, or maybe they will because Tampa, but like you said, Tampa's a little weird. They usually do this every... Um, deadline they come up with something really big and extravagant like that um so i i don't know if this will but i don't see it happening i could be wrong though yeah it, it's it's interesting i don't know that it's going to change the market a ton 
mostly because I don't know that there's any other player in his specific situation that could be on the move. This is a pending mm-hmm. RFA with team control. 800K had 20 goals last season. The team that moved him was willing to move him. They were sellers. The team that bought him likes to do this. Like, I don't know that you're going to find all of those dominoes falling in order again with anybody else. Mm-hmm. So this was like one of those like unicorn type trades where it's like, this is the only guy that this is going to happen with. I can't, I don't see anybody else on the trade market. Like here in Edmonton, we have Jesse Pugliarvi, mm-hmm. but Jesse Pugliarvi makes $3 million on the cap hit. Nobody's giving that return for Jesse Pugliarvi and his $3 million cap hit. He's not an $800,000 player. Sam Lafferty went to Toronto. We're going to talk about that one next. Um, he was making more money than Tanner Janot, right? Like these players make more money than 800K. 800K is like, this is fantastic. We get another player mm-hmm. for this. I don't see this happening again. So I just don't know if we're ever going to have anything to compare it to. And that to me is why the market doesn't dramatically change. Uh, I think some GMs will look at this and go, oh, well, maybe our guy's worth more than what we were about to trade him for. But I think at the end of the day, as March 3rd rolls around here and things get tight and teams get a little panicky and needy and uh-huh. they'll still dump. Like, they'll still be like, yeah. all right, we'll we'll do this. Like a Joel Edmonton, Edmonton out of Montreal. There's a lot of talk that this guy is, is still getting some interest, but everybody's afraid of his injury situation. Uh-huh. If Montreal says, you know, we need to move this guy. Like, we got to move him. They, they might end up, they might have been asking for a second, maybe a first. They might move him for a third or a fourth. Like, by the time the third rolls around. Like, we have no idea what's going to happen here. So... I'm not terribly worried about it. Uh, I do want to get your opinion before we get into the real big name uh, that happened this week. What did you take uh, Jake McCabe, Sam Lafferty going from Chicago? Obviously you cover the Blackhawks. So you knew these two trades were probably likely. Um, I'm getting the sense. You don't love the return though for Chicago. No, I really don't. And here's the thing. I don't love it. I don't hate it, but I would say I don't like it, if that makes sense. Like, it's not really one I don't think I would pull the trigger on. Only because it's not because of Tanner Janot. It's not because I thought, oh, he really set the market high and they could have gotten more. If you're Chicago, Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty were probably your two best trade chips besides Patrick Kane. Sam Lafferty's having a career year, 21 points in 51 games. Jake McCabe was the only plus, literally on the plus minus spectrum on the Blackhawks. He was a plus seven, 20 points. He was the second best um, scorer in the defense core for the Blackhawks. So... I know the Blackhawks said they were asking for a first for McCabe and they were asking for a second for Sam Lafferty. So I guess in that case, they got what they wanted because they did get a first and a second for both of them, I guess, together. But I did think it was a little light, if I'm being honest. There was two players and I mean, Joey Anderson, I know he's had inconsistencies, but Sheldon Keith spoke really highly of him. So maybe he'll be something. Um, Their other prospect I know was in the ECHL. So I don't really know if we'll, if the Blackhawks will ever see him. And the first and second round picks were for 2025 and 2026. So, uh, yeah, I kind of wish it was a little bit sooner, if I'm being honest. But they do have 17 draft picks in the first three rounds of the next three drafts. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we can let it play out because you never know what they'll get with those picks. But I would have liked to see maybe a better, maybe a bigger return, maybe a bigger prospect or a player. NHL ready player, something kind of like that other than what they got. So yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? The only thing that I look at that trade and I go, I wonder what Chicago was thinking when they did this was that they retained 50% of Jake McCabe for the next two years Mm -hmm. that maybe they say, well, we're not going to be all that good in the next two Mm -hmm. years. We're not going to spend a ton of money. So this isn't really a thing, but to me, you would think that that would have more draft value. 
right? Like that you would be like, okay, if we're going to do this and we're going to retain and we're going to make him a $2 million player for you for the next Mm -hmm. two seasons, you got to give us more. Like this is, that's a pretty big ask, right? Yes. For Chicago, it's not because of their situation. Just like if San Jose were to move Eric Carlson, which I don't think they're going to be doing, they can afford to retain salary. They probably won't, but they could because they're not going to be any good in the next three years. They have all this dead cap space or this this cap space they can use. They can afford to do it in the next three or four seasons. Chicago can do that too. Doesn't mean that they should. Doesn't mean they shouldn't mm-hmm. get value for that. And moving McCabe at a 50% retained salary so that Toronto could get this player on the dirt cheap, that is something I was a little surprised by. I was kind of like, yeah. wow. Like the the draft picks or whatever. Like Chicago's loaded up. They have and they still haven't moved Patrick Kane yet, which we expect to be happening here right away. They're gonna pick up more draft picks in that deal. But it's it's going to be really interesting to see if that cap hit comes back to say, you know, maybe we should have held out for another. The problem with Toronto is they have like no draft capital left, mm-hmm. right? That's why those first were like 2025, 2026. Like they've given up everything else. They have nothing left to give uh, outside of, I think their first runner 2024, like they've got nothing to really dangle and they didn't want to move roster players. So yeah, it is an interesting return. If McCabe turns out to be a heck of a fine for Toronto, though, this is where Kyle Dubas is going to look really good, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's going to have added a top four defenseman for $2 million. And these got a pretty good contract with that player. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what do you take? What's your opinion on the the Dubas situation? I want to get your take on this because I've had a couple debates with people on social media about this one. Like, I'm giving him credit in one corner and I'm saying he's gotten very lucky in the other, right? Like everybody's like, Oh my God, Kyle Dubas has done so much fantastic work over the last week. Yeah. He's been pretty good. Like he's ratted Ryan O'Reilly, Noel Achari, Sam Lafferty, mm-hmm. Jake McCabe. Um, he's probably going to, it looks like he's maybe trading for Luke Shannon. We're hearing maybe Alex Kerfoot could go in that deal. Uh, so he's being creative. He's absolutely mm-hmm. taking a swing and he's going for it, whether it's try to try to save his job or just to get the Maple Leafs out of the first round, whatever the motivation is here, he's going for it. That said, he can't go for it if the LTIR situation doesn't happen with Jake Muzzin and Matt Murray and all of a sudden Toronto's got an extra 9 to $11 million to spend. Like a lot of GMs don't have that luxury. So where do you sit with the Kyle Dubas stuff? Should he be getting a ton of credit and he looks like a genius? Or are you like, yeah, he's in the right time, right place. Unfortunately, guys have been injured. It's the only reason he's been able to do all this stuff. I think people, if you're not a Toronto fan, could see this as being taken advantage of a lot. Like you could say that Kyle Dubas is taking advantage of the salary cap, like in a bad way, like he's kind of doing the loopholes. But honestly, Tampa Bay started it. They did that when they won the Stanley Cups with, uh, what was it, Nikita Kucherov on the long-term injury reserve. Didn't activate him until after the playoffs started so that it wouldn't count towards the cap. So honestly, you kind of need luck in this league. And honestly, if you're a GM, you have to use those loopholes if they're available to you. Like you said, you don't want to see someone get hurt at all. But if that becomes available to you, like I said, you have to do it. And for Kyle Dubas, yeah, with that team, you have to be kind of aggressive. You can't continue to lose in the first round. It also reminds me of the Blackhawks in 2015 when Patrick Kane broke his collarbone. And uh, he was out the rest of the year, but came back for the playoffs. And they could, the Blackhawks then used his salary uh, on the long-term injury reserve, and they were able to get Antoine Vermette. That's how they were able to get him. And honestly, he was a big reason why they won the cup that year. So in a way, it's smart. I understand if people think it's kind of maddening, but I do think it's smart for a GM to use those loopholes. And right now he's doing it, so good for him. It is luck, but honestly, that's kind of what you need in this league. (laughs) 
Well, you know what? I'm not suggesting at all that you fault him for it. I think it's exactly what you should do. Like if, if you're Kyle Dubas and you have this happen mm-hmm. and Jake Muzzin goes down and Matt Murray goes down and you then have the money here, I'll give you a good example in Edmonton where I cover the team and everybody's waiting for Ken Holland to do something here. The criticism is that Holland's chickening out here. He's either mm-hmm. waiting for the prices to drop and they're never going to happen, or he's not prepared to make that big move that Kyle Dubas is making, but he's got no caps. He's got $562,000 yeah. worth of deadline cap space. He doesn't have the ability to do what Kyle Dubas is doing, which is just go spend money. Like Kyle Dubas is, you know, he happened to have Jake Muzzin and Matt Murray coming out to the yard. Let me ask you this. So what happens if, well, apples to apples. What if Jack Campbell in Edmonton happened to get hurt and he went on LTIR, he was probably going to get coming back for the playoffs, but he wasn't available for the regular season. All of a sudden, $5 million opens up for the Oilers. And then let's say what happens if one of their defensemen, we just pick anybody. Let's pick, uh, Cody CC, $3.2 million. All of a sudden, Ken Holland has $8.25 million to spend. Do you think he spends it? Of course he does. He mm-hmm. absolutely goes out and he acquires whatever he can afford for the $8.2 million, and he hopes those two other guys can come back for the trade deadline. That is what happened to Kyle Dubas. That is the only reason he was able to make all these moves. Yeah. Right? Ken Holland has not had that happen. Evander Kane is out right now, but not out long enough that mm-hmm. his $5.125 million comes off the cap. Now, if Evander Kane's ribs were broken and he was only coming back for the playoffs, you can bet your butt that Ken Holland would be spending that $5.125 million in the next four days. But mm-hmm. it's not happening. He's got to have the room for Kane to come back. And Toronto just so happened to be lucky enough that those guys are out. Now, it's unfortunate. You don't ever want anybody mm-hmm. to go down to injury like that. But that is what happened in Toronto, which is why Dubas has the money. Ken Holland does not have the money. There are other GMs in Ken Holland's positions who do not have that money. And so Kyle Dubas did. And that is why he was able to do this and why he didn't have to trade any roster players to get it done. For Ken Holland, it's dollar in, dollar out. Anything he makes a deal for, he's got to send money the other way. And there are not a lot of GMs that want to do that, right? They want draft picks and prospects. They don't want your dumpy salary guys that you don't need, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why the criticism to me seems unfair. Now, if you want to criticize GMs for doing other trades or making other signings early in the season that haven't panned out, then make that criticism all day long. And then you can go, okay, well, these guys are in cap hell because of it. But Dubas got lucky. Dubas happened to, he was two, three weeks ago, he was pooched on the salary cap too. He did not have any money to spend. And then all of a sudden these things happen. So I do give Kyle Dubas credit for taking a swing and going out and getting creative, getting these teams to retain salary, getting these teams to do the deals that he wants them to do. But we have to remember that he got very lucky that these things were able to drop into his lap because of their injury situation, which just presented itself over the last few weeks. So yes and no for me. So people who are blinded by this and saying, oh my gosh, Kyle Dubas is such a genius. Uh, no, he got lucky, right? And yeah. he's he's done the right thing with that luck. And that mm-hmm. is going to come back to hopefully help the Maple Leafs. At least that's what he's hoping. Because if it doesn't work, he's probably pooched. All right, uh, final one. Let's talk about Timo Meyer. Here's the big name that everybody was waiting on. Uh, oh we we had heard Vegas, Carolina, New Jersey. Uh, mm-hmm. There were some other teams, maybe even St. Louis was thinking about getting in on this, but it ultimately is the New Jersey Devils in what is a mammoth trade. What was it, 13 different pieces going yeah. in a trade between two teams? Like It's so big, I can't even list out everything. Yeah. Uh, and maybe you have it there in front of you. I don't know, but yeah, it's do. huge. It's it massive. Is, yeah. Like it, no wonder it took a while, right? They were mm-hmm. reporting it done. And then Friedman came on. And he's like, yeah, no, no, it's not done yet. 
there's a hiccup here. Well, yeah, no wonder there's a hiccup. There were 13 different pieces going in this trade, right? What, uh, were you surprised? Timo Meyer to New Jersey? We're not surprised, are we? No, not really. <laughs> because, I mean, I think they were listed as like the top team for Timo Meyer. I think even back in December, people were like, oh, Timo Meyer is going to go to the Devils for sure. And it made a lot of sense, right? Even though it was kind of a rumor, it made a lot of sense. So, no, not surprised at all. But I was surprised by, like you said, how many parts were in this. It wasn't just like Timo Meyer for a first, second, or whatever it was. It was literally, it was bizarre. But good, I guess, I will say good for San Jose. Because they really have nothing going for them at all. And obviously, Timo Meyer was their big trade chip. And they did get a laugh for him, even though I know they didn't get Dawson Mercer. I know that's kind of who they wanted. But understandably, though, I think it was pretty good for their sake. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, he's Myers interesting because for me, New Jersey is the team that hadn't Carolina becomes very interesting to watch now. But in the mm-hmm. East, they were kind of the team that still had, especially the New York teams, right? The Rangers were doing stuff, and we still think they might be with Patrick Kane. Uh, the Islanders had made their move. The New Jersey Devils just hadn't done it yet, and so we were thinking it was going to be Meyer. We knew they were probably going to have to give up a pretty good haul to get him. The interesting, what I find fascinating about this, and I think it'll probably get done, but there's no extension talk yet at all. Yeah. Like they made this deal knowing that they have not cha- confirmed in any way that Timo Meyer is interested in sticking around. Now he is a restricted free agent and this could cost New Jersey $10 million just to keep him for a year, but um, they haven't had those conversations yet. So that is a fascinating part of this for me because I thought most of the teams that would be in on this would be like, no, 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 we need to talk to him about an extension here if we're going to go there, because 10 million bucks is a lot of money mm-hmm. um, for a guy that you might have to just kind of say, okay, well, he gets, he gets control of this over the next year. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a big shoe. What's the, is there other fallout? Do you think from this? Like, is there a team that looks at this deal and says, Oh my God, like the West has done very little. The yes. Western <laughs> conference has done like nothing. Then mm-hmm. the Eastern conference is loaded up, you know, between Tampa, New Jersey, New York, New York, Toronto, like they're going hard and the West is just sitting over here. Like Los Angeles, we expect to be buyers. They haven't done really anything. Mm-hmm. The others, we expect to improve their team. We've heard Calgary, but we don't know what's going on there. Like there are some teams out here in the West that have not done anything. Mm-hmm. Which is going to make it very, even Colorado hasn't done a whole lot. Yeah. They added Jack Johnson, um, but that's not a difference maker really. No. Do you think there's a fallout from this now? Like that Myers come off the board. What do you think happens now? I'm not sure if I'm being completely honest with you. I feel like Timo Meyer really was the last big name, I think, to be acquired on this whole market, obviously, after Bo Horvat and all that stuff. And obviously, he went to the East. But I'm not really sure, because even Patrick Kane, with that whole rumor, would be going to the East. So I don't know who I really think the next shoe, I think, will drop for the Western Conference. Um, It's... It really is a guessing game, but I'm kind of surprised by really, like you said, how little action is being made, even by someone like the Dallas Stars, who actually Mm -hmm. do have some wiggle room here, and so do the Minnesota Wild, and it just seems like everyone's standing put. I'm not getting this either, but yeah, Yeah. I'll be interested to see. Well, I know like James Van Riemsdyk have done some digging, and I think he's going to probably be moved here in the next little bit, but I'm not sure that that is something that, I mean, he's he's decent, he's steady, he's consistent, but is he in that level? Of these other guys that we've been talking about, probably not, right? Like, yeah, he's not in the same league as the Myers and the Horvats and the Tarasenkos of the world. Um, mm-hmm. Ben Rimsdyke is a quality piece that some teams would like to add, and I, I, I'm under the belief that there's going to be salary retention on this one, so he's yeah. going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 
2.5 to 3.5 million when he finally lands somewhere. But uh, I don't know if that does it. Like if you're the team in the West that gets Van, Van Riemsdyk and says, okay, well, we've done our thing. Like, I don't know. Right. <laughs> like if the Oilers were to get Jacob Chikrin or uh-huh. something like then all of a sudden we're like, okay, that was one of the names that everybody was watching. Right. If I don't think it'll happen, but if Patrick Kane goes to some team other than the Rangers uh-huh. and, or the Vegas golden Knights, Adam, a major piece, right? Like, then we're say okay, okay. Now we're talking, but yeah, I don't know what name does it. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Uh, before we close things off, I want to get your opinion on the Barry Trotz news. Um, um, he's now the official, well, will be on June 30th, but he's already working. There's pictures, the best social media <laughs> yeah. picture I've seen in a long time where he's like hiding in the background of the arena as a blurry David Poyle drives by on whatever machine he's on. Uh, Barry Trotz is already in Nashville. He's already working. And it just so happened to be that that trade with the Predators and Tampa came down like hours after he was announced as the next GM of the team. Uh, a coincidence? Does it happen to be good timing? Like, was that deal coming down at the time? Or do you think Trotz actually had something to do with it? I don't know. Do, do you know what I thought when I first saw the news? I thought it was very um, good timing. Because to be honest, I don't know how much longer David Poley would have lasted in that position he's been there a long time and honestly the team's going downhill so I don't know if maybe he was kind of wanting to go out on his own terms like everyone kind of saw the writing on the wall so I did think that was really uh good timing there but I'm actually really happy for Barry Trotz like I think we I think a lot of people wanted to see him back in hockey in some capacity and obviously like I said Nashville needed a change and to be honest this past couple days kind of shown they're probably going on the right track here they realize they need to sell they realize they need to change you know, probably their whole mindset on the whole team. So, and Tanner Janot was a great start for them. And so Barry Trotz, yeah, I think, yeah, like I said, I think they're on the right track here. So I think this is all good things for Nashville and I'm happy to see Barry Trotz back. Yeah, I am curious to see what else Nashville does. Like, I don't think there's some players that are going to be able to move. Like, I don't see Matt Duchesne or Ryan Johansson yeah. going anywhere, but you Dante Fabro could go. I could see Matias Ekholm going. Um, there are some names there that I think will attract some people. So, um this should be interesting i think there's going to be more coming here where what is it it's monday right and the deadline is like friday yes we got thursday so there's still time i mean the way things have been coming off the board here in the next uh, last little bit there's definitely still time for more action i know everybody's worried that the trade deadline day is going to be like oh man everything happened already it's just a recap show um but i think there's going to be more stuff going on here um especially some smaller contracts of players that uh, where some salary tension involved. So it could be complicated, but it'd be kind of fun. All right, Brooke, I appreciate it. Thank you. We'll uh, we'll leave her there for now. And we didn't get into Ivan Barbashev. We'll maybe do that on the next show mm-hmm. and some of the other trades that have happened between now and when we record again. But uh, we'll keep our eyes on the the uh, trade rumor mill, nhltradetalk.com, thehockeyraiders.com. Uh, you can go to all these places and check out both of our work uh, for Jim Parsons, Brooke Laferno. Thanks, everybody. Another edition of NHL Trade Talk podcast talk to you in the next one